Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me Catherine Govier, who is our terrific lay leader this morning. We welcome each and every one of you here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine within every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are in your order of service and also on the screen. As we light the chalice, may our souls become its hearth. We join our hearts to the one great flame of bright compassion, beloved community, and fervent justice. May our sparks become a wildfire in the world, lighting the way for all. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. We don't all sign on to some set of beliefs. So sometimes people ask us, well, if you don't believe the same thing, then what holds you together? Well, we have a set of seven principles, maybe an eighth one soon, that hold us together. We have six sources that we also draw from and that hold us together. And here in this church, we have our mission. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our reading this morning is a quote from Parker Palmer from The Active Life on Assuming Abundance. The quality of our lives depends heavily on whether we assume a world of scarcity or a world of abundance. Do we inhabit a universe where the basic things that people need, from food and shelter to a sense of competence and of being loved, are ample in nature? Or is this a universe where such goods are in short supply, available only to those who have the power to beat everyone else to the store? The nature of our action will be heavily conditioned by the way we answer those bedrock questions. In a universe of scarcity, only people who know the art of competing, even in making war, will be able to survive. But in a universe of abundance, acts of generosity and community become not only possible, but fruitful as well. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. Breathing in, breathing out feeling the loving presence of those all around us. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where we know the fullness of our soul, a place where we are enough. that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, 
We enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of that sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing together, let us enter into that sacred silence together.
I recently got this new smartphone. It's the latest and the greatest technology. And within a few months, a newer model with even greater and later features will come out, a model that was already planned when I bought this one. We live in an economy that is designed to keep us at first thrilled with our new purchases and then quickly disillusioned with them and craving their replacement. We exist in a culture where we are told that what we have is never enough. We exist in a culture that by design creates a myth of scarcity. How often have you gone to reserve a hotel room or a flight online and gotten that little flashing message that only two more are left at this available price? Or there are 37 people currently looking at this hotel. How many ads do we see that contain a not-so-implicit message that we are never successful enough, we never have enough, we are never good enough, attractive enough, thin enough, sexy enough, smart enough, and on and on and on and on. Some other car is always newer and nicer than ours. Our dishwashers are too slow and too loud. Our clothing is already passé. Our hairstyle is no longer the style. Scarcity, scarcity, more scarcity. This morning, as we're gathering for worship, the Trump administration is still threatening to round up, detain, and then deport thousands of immigrant families, a move which will worsen the conditions at already overcrowded and inhumane detention camps, separate families again, including taking even more children away from their parents, and send folks who have been contributing to our society back to a country where they will often face threats to their well-being and sometimes even their very lives. And this too, This, too, is also at least partially a fear-based tactic rooted in that mythology of scarcity. Now, there's a lot that's going on with this, including not-so-subtle racism and xenophobia, but these, too, arise at least partially out of the scarcity myth. Trump himself has stated that we do not, quote, have room for these people, close quote, As if somehow if we let asylum seekers into our country, it'll take jobs and resources away from everybody else. And yet study after study has found that this is simply not the case. We have wealth to go around. Immigrants are net contributors to our society. We have the food, the housing, the economic, and the other resources to to more than support our own population, plus many others who need our help. And when it comes to basic human rights, here's a meme that's been going around on social media that I like. It says, equal rights for others does not mean less rights for you. It's not pie. The scarcity myth drives inequality and human rights abuses. The scarcity myth drives radically capitalistic consumerism. The scarcity myth is one of the major lies that has been used to excuse a vast transfer of power and wealth from the many to the very few over the last several decades. Now, 
Don't get me wrong. I'm not against economic development and technology advancements that can enhance our lives and well-being. I love my iPhone. I just think we can choose a different narrative that would eventually drive a different kind of economy and a different kind of society. I believe that rather than scarcity, we can choose abundance, not just for the few, but for all. We can adopt a narrative that we are, there is, enough. So, um, eight years ago, I lived in this house. It's on Northeast 45th Street in the Beaumont neighborhood. On a random Tuesday, after work, I pulled into the driveway and I hollered to my wife and our three kids. They're playing on the front lawn. Hey, hop in the car. We're going to go on a little field trip. The kids are in middle school and elementary school, so they're like, yay, field trip. To jump in. We roll down the Alameda Ridge, turn right on Sandy Boulevard. 20 blocks later, we pull into this random parking lot. Okay, guys, get out. There's a building on the right there. Doors unlocked. I'll meet you inside. Walked in. Surprise! This is our new home. Um, let me explain. So we're in the middle of a recession. Uh, I've lost everything. Uh, I have to sell everything, including our house. This crappy building's all we have left. We have to live here. I'm so sorry. It's going to be an adventure. <laughs> the kids are in, at that amazing, amazing age where all they hear is the word adventure. So they're running around on the greasy floor just screaming, Awesome! My wife, meanwhile, (laughs) she stands perfectly still, and she screams a different word. (laughs) But it's okay. There's a happy ending. We had four walls and a roof. We had heat, electricity, running water. We had enough. It wasn't the home of our dreams. It wasn't the home that we just were forced to leave, but it was home enough. And ever since then, I've been obsessed with this word. In 1958, an economist named Milton Friedman burst onto the scene in America. He ultimately wins the Nobel Prize in economics. He is the father of modern-day American capitalism. He's the greed-is-good guy. Here's one of his quotes. The social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. Not the fiscal responsibility, but the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. For the past six decades, young men and young women have been drinking from the chalice of Milton Friedman, graduating from college, learning that greed is indeed good. I'm not a fan of the word greed. I have my new favorite word, enough. I found a different quote. It's from the Indonesian poet, Toba Beta. Greed is a little bit more than enough. So I found myself wondering what a parallel universe would look like. A universe where Toba Beta wins the Nobel Prize in economics instead of Milton Friedman. That's Kevin Kavanaugh, an architect by training and now a commercial real estate developer in Portland, Oregon. Those flowery pants he was wearing in the video, one of his children made them for him out of fabric recycled from their old couch. (laughs) Kavanaugh goes on to explain that as he began to recover from the recession and rebuild his business, he kept asking himself this question about enoughness. How much is enough? 
Doing so has changed how he lives and how he does business. For instance, he asked himself, how much is enough wealth? And that led him to eventually discover that while he was making a percentage of the profits from his building developments, the members of his small staff were not. So he created a program for them in which they could become vested in a percentage of the profits also the longer they worked with the business. Then he asked himself, how much equality is enough? Because the inequity in pay between men and women in our country was really bothering him. He then redesigned the pay pyramid for his company so that instead of him making more than everybody else, everyone gets paid exactly the same, including him. It turns out, he discovered, that companies that treat their employees better and equally have better long-term stock valuations. They attract the best talent. As he puts it, not paying equally was stepping over dollars to collect dimes. Finally, he was disturbed by the rising level of homelessness in Portland. Rent in the area has grown 20 times faster than wages so that even folks with a college degree who are working can find themselves living out of a tent in one of the city's parks. He asked himself and a group of his investors for one of his buildings, how much would be enough rent? They did the calculations and they discovered that they could make enough return from their investment if they developed the building so that it provided simple rooms with a bed and wash basin, shared showers and restrooms, and a communal kitchen and living room area. By doing that, they could rent the rooms out for $290 a month. So now, a number of formerly homeless folks have simple but at least adequate shelter. It is enough. And this defining, or rather maybe redefining of enough, it turns out, is one of our strongest ways in which we can resist that cultural myth of scarcity. It is one of the ways we can find greater satisfaction in life. All over the country, people are engaging in this countercultural idea and redefining for themselves what enough means. People are embracing minimalism. You can learn more at theminimalist.com, but basically, minimalists are discovering a new sense of freedom by living with far less stuff. And one common way that people get started is by jettisoning at least one material position each day for at least a month by asking each day of several items in their home, does this have value to me? Does it have utility in some way or bring me joy? If the answer is no, it goes. Sell it. Donate it to charity where someone else might find value with it or just get rid of it. Many folks found that they got rid of more than one item per day and continued the practice for several months. I'm pretty sure it would take me at least a year to get rid of whatever all that stuff in my garage is. Other families with children have determined what the minimal salary they need to feel satisfaction in life is and to feel as if they're providing a good life for their children. Then they live off of that amount and donate anything they earn above it to benefit others. 
And we've all witnessed this movement toward moving into smaller or even tiny houses that people have been doing. What folks have discovered when they have done some of these things is that it freed them to pursue their desires and goals in life more easily. They found that they didn't need to make as much money and they could take a job that left them time to travel, go back to school for their master's degree, pursue a passion such as music or an art, just for examples. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone here has to become a minimalist or give all your money to charity, although if you do, please consider your church. I'm not saying you have to sell your house and all your stuff and move into a 600-square-foot building. I just offer some of these trends as an example of how it is possible to redefine enough for ourselves. I'm suggesting that by periodically asking ourselves the question, what is enough for me, we may begin to find ways to experience a greater sense of abundance. Now, in addition to thinking about what enough means to you, here are a few other ways that we can develop a greater sense of abundance in our lives and that may have thereby given us more life satisfaction. First, invest more of your time and resources in your relationships with other people and if you have them, your little furry creatures. Whether it is our spouses Partners, children, other family members, friends, our fellow churchgoers, the stranger we just met, or some folks somewhere in need that we may never meet, study after study have shown that belonging and connection, love and doing for others are vital to our sense of satisfaction in life. Second, also invest more of your time and resources on experiences rather than things. Traveling, attending plays and concerts, learning to play the guitar or speak a new language, taking the children to an amusement park or to go camping, whatever the experiences may be, a wealth of studies have shown that we place much higher value on experiences than we do on things. Experiences bring us much greater happiness than possessing material items. Next, practice gratitude every day. Practicing gratitude has been, to be, has been shown to be one of the strongest ways to develop a sense of abundant life and is continually associated with greater life satisfaction. Here's a key, though. It has to be a practice, something you do. It is the active practice of gratitude that brings abundance. Here's a little something more about the science behind gratitude and some of those potential practices that you might look at. Research shows that adopting an attitude of gratitude, simply expressing appreciation and being more thankful, can measurably improve your overall well-being. For example, studies prove that gratitude can increase happiness, reduce depression, and strengthen resiliency. Grateful people often experience reduced blood pressure, less chronic pain, increased energy, even longer lives. People who purposefully express more gratitude report higher self-esteem than those who don't, and they're more likely to help others. A pro-social behavior also links to greater happiness. 
People who capture grateful thoughts before bed sleep better than those who don't. Why so many positive changes? Because gratitude actually rewires our brains, kickstarting the production of dopamine and serotonin. Like antidepressants, these feel-good neurotransmitters activate the bliss center of the brain, creating feelings of happiness and contentment. This appears to be self-perpetuating. Research suggests that with regular practice, you'll train your prefrontal cortex to better appreciate and retain positive experiences and thoughts, and to deflect the negative ones. Here are a few simple ways to deliberately cultivate that attitude of gratitude. Celebrate minor accomplishments. Think about what you have, rather than dwelling on what you don't. Tell the people in your life something you appreciate about them. Tell yourself too. Volunteer, hold a door for a stranger, or simply smile more, and you'll probably feel better, as kindness and giving are connected to gratitude. Similar positive brain changes can occur from regular meditation and mindfulness. Keep a daily gratitude journal using an old-fashioned notebook or a high-tech app. The science is clear. Give gratitude a go. You'll be thankful you did. Finally, whether it is through attending worship like we are today, cultivating a spiritual practice such as meditating, gardening, working for justice in our world, making art or music, whatever it is for you, finding ways to connect with something larger than ourselves, to experience the holy, to know truth, meaning, and beauty, within that connection and experience of something larger than ourselves lies abundant living. So these are just some of the ways we can develop a sense of abundance in our lives. I'd like to close today by inviting you to engage with me in a spoken and sung meditative ritual on abundance. So please repeat after me. I am grateful for life. I am grateful for loving and being loved. I am grateful for the adventures of my life. I am a part of something larger than myself. I experience truth, meaning, and beauty. There is enough. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. You're welcome to sing this simple chant with me. What we need is
beloveds, you are enough. Abundance is already ours. Amen. Now please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. For our benediction today, I wanted to invite you into one more responsive ritual with me. I'll put the words up on the screen, but I think you probably know them. They're from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. Well, you just might find... Oh, yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.